1: You know when you go in with that mindset just that curiosity of just wanting to understand why understand why people act the way they do why teams operate the way they do um i think that's the the genesis of being a good a good coach Welcome to Jane Jackson Careers, a podcast that takes your career to the next level. Here's your host, Jane Jackson, author of Amazon Careers bestseller, Navigating Career Crossroads.
0: Welcome back to My Careers Podcast, where I interview fascinating professionals who've made amazing career changes and are leaders in their field. Now, today, I'm very lucky to have with me... Christopher Patterson, who is the managing director of Alchemy Career Management. He's an executive coach, facilitator, and presenter, and is an organizational psychologist. With over 20 years of HR consulting and business psychology experience, Christopher takes a neurological view of executive performance and leadership. He has global commercial and leadership experiences and and has held executive corporate roles and entrepreneurial roles too. From his early days at Morgan and Banks to Hudson and now Alchemy Career Management, Christopher's focus is on the neurology of performance and pressure and his excellent program, Wellness at Work, generates positive, measurable results within organizations. His purpose is to support career success. So let's welcome Christopher to the show. Hi, Christopher.
1: Great to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation and a real privilege to be part of this cohort that you've created and (laughs) correct. congratulations on on what you're doing with these with these podcasts
0: oh thanks so much christopher well i just love having a chat with people who are doing really interesting things and and making a difference in the community and really following their their passion and purpose because that's Mm. my passion and purpose is to help others and because you're another career professional as well and you lead this business with such a great name i've always loved the name christopher alchemy (laughs) career management so you're an alchemist
1: that's what we are. We are career alchemists.
0: <laughs> That's right. Putting it all together and see what happens. So how about to, right. kick us, to kick us off today, um, can you tell me a little bit about your career journey? What, did, what were you hoping for and what were your career aspirations when you were a young lad?
1: Well, I grew up in the 1980s and you might remember a film of that time uh, called Top Gun. And like many other um, boys of that age, my first dream was to be a pilot, uh, a fighter pilot. Um, but when I realised that my uh, colour blindness was going to uh, put a halt to that dream, I was, I, was, I was back to square one. And the inspiration came from a very, very uh, unexpected source. We were uh, on a camp, one of these school camps, uh, out there in the hills outside Canberra. And there was a cohort of about 25 of us that were uh, getting ready to camp for the night. And when we did our roll call, uh, one of the group was missing, a guy by the name of Taro Agawa. Now, Taro was a smart guy and, and, and hell of a musician, but he was on the receiving end of a fair bit of uh, ribbing from the group. And, um, you know, teenage boys can be uh, <laughs> uh, vile when they want to be. And and he was really on the receiving end of that. And while I didn't know Taro, um, I really was worried about him. And so I got a couple of us together and we went out on this search party. And I found Taro about half an hour later, just as dusk was setting in, uh, sitting on a fallen tree and, and – Jane, I can't remember what we talked about. All I remember is that when I convinced him to come back to the camp, he turned to me and he said, Christopher, I think you should be a psychologist. And it didn't mean anything to me at the time, but that seed that Taro planted on that ridge uh, certainly came to the fore when it came to choosing a degree and a psychology degree was just the obvious choice I, and it was where I found my, my passion for not only human behaviour but also uh, and more particularly organisational behaviour.
0: Wow, so that was, I mean, right from the early days, you're, you're living what your whole passion and purpose right from the beginning.
1: Right in the sweet spot. I all yeah. started with Tara, Tara Ogawa. Uh-huh.
0: And how old um, were you then? Fifteen. Fifteen, gosh, amazing, 15. amazing! So you must have always just had this natural ability to be able to draw out to the best in people, or helping them to uh, understand themselves. Because obviously, Tara must have disappeared off for a, for a good reason, and you brought him back again. So you must have made him feel better about himself.
1: Yeah, and I'm not I'm not convinced that it's a skill, mm-hmm. um, but it's certainly a curiosity, and 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 I've been a student of student a uh, uh, student of um, human behavior ever since, and I think you know when you go in with that mindset, just that curiosity of just wanting to understand why, understand why people act the way they do, why teams operate the way they do um, I think that 's the the genesis of being a good a good coach
0: mm-hmm, definitely, and so how how did you progress in your career from the early days. So you've got your organizational psychology uh, degrees and qualifications, and obviously that's your, your passion. Um, so when you started out in your career, once you graduated, how, how did the career progress?
1: Well, I, I took a more entrepreneurial route than my colleagues. You know, the, the classic route is you do your degree, then you do your postgraduate, and then you go get a job, right? Well, in second year, um, I decided to go a different path. And over a summer, I got the Yellow Pages out, not the app, the actual <laughs> physical book. <laughs> and I called maybe 25 psychologists uh, and I just called them up out of the blue and said, look, can I buy you a cup of coffee? I'd really like to learn about what you do and how you do it. And and that was the start of my networking. And um, it turns out that a guy at New South Wales University um, Knew someone at Morgan & Banks. They had a work experience program. Um, you know, and I wrote the letter and was selected to be the Tuesday guy um, scoring psych tests by hand. Um, so what it meant was that by the time I finished my degree and, and did the post grad, I'd already had two or three years of um, business experience, um, which set me up for more of an entrepreneurial route.
0: And from Morgan & Banks, I'm just having a look at your LinkedIn profile as as we're talking as well. So from Morgan & Banks, then you went to a business called Innovative People Solutions. Was that your own business?
1: It is, yeah. Yeah? There was a guy I met at Morgan & Banks because I was a a really brash kid, so I wasn't just... (laughs) Uh, sitting in the corner doing my work, I'd always walk the floor and just go up to anyone and and ask them lots of questions about what they were doing and can I get involved. And I formed a relationship with a guy named Mark Gallagher, who was one of the highest performing um, HR consultants. Uh, and Mark and I thought that we could do the whole assessment and development game uh, better ourselves. And And we went out with uh, a couple of executives from Westpac and we formed IPS in a basement um, and within eighteen months we'd grown to over twenty people, turning over just over five million in revenue. So it was is an incredibly exciting time of getting a small group of really smart, passionate people together and, um, and and being incredibly clear on on, on, on what we do and and we were a, a known brand you know outside of SHL we were uh, the go-to brand for assessment and uh, and, and development
0: yeah, fantastic. Because I can see you had clients including Deutsche Bank, Mervac Hotels, Telstra, Merck, Anset, Westpac. So so really as a startup, you grew rapidly and um had some amazing clients. And so that that was a good, oh, I would say what, six, six, seven, eight years. Um, and work in in the uk as well as in australia as well so so you've got an entrepreneurial mindset um you're you're happy to travel and live overseas and work overseas and adapt to change and it it it, I, it sounds like through your networking your love of getting to know people developing solid relationships and that that hunger for really understanding people th- this is this is the path for you isn't it it
1: absolutely is, and and look when we when we grew to that size, we became an acquisition target, and um, we listed on the stock exchange in '99, mm-hmm. and that was my first lesson in uh, strategy because we went from a business that was incredibly focused and clear on what we did. We were the best at assessment and development. Um, however, when we listed, the merged entity became. Uh, a bit of consulting, a bit of recruitment, a bit of database work and, and a bit of technology and some education services as well. So, the, the market lost sight of exactly what we stood for. And you're right, you know, when we listed, um, we listed on at 15.5 uh, cents and on the back of two of those relationships being Deutsche and Merck Sharp and Dome, the share price shot up to $0.35, cents. so it was a very exciting time. Mm. But because of that brand dilution and the market uh, not seeing us as the go-to destination for any one of those services, um, the share price consistently um, started to um, migrate down um, and never really recovered. So it was during that time that I took part of that technology um, over to the UK by myself and... Um, I saw a wonderful opportunity networking in London where everyone wanted to get into online HR. Um, they weren't too fussed about how and, and, and what what components uh, of the HR process were going to be covered. They just knew they wanted to apply technology uh, into the HR space. And so I had a small advisory business that I started there, uh, helping large corporates not only choose the right HR technology, but then with my org sci hat on, how do you actually do something a little bit more than just shifting data around? How do you actually drive the right behaviours that you're, you're wanting in your organisation? Um, and so, um, yeah, it was a, that was around, you know, 2000, 2003. Wonderful time to be in Europe um, mm. looking at, you know, those, those networks and those opportunities.
0: Mm. You know, I just want to ask you your opinion on businesses that grow and are successful really quickly, like IPS was. So, you know, you're listed on the Australian Stock Exchange, you're doing really well. And I think what, what I picked up, on was you were specialists in assessment and development. And then with, you know, being taken over and then suddenly spreading into coaching and HR technology and everything else and then being like a one-stop shop for everything but um, Mm. a master of none or maybe it was still a master of assessment and development, but it was like spread too thin. So your reputation in the market, people got confused, didn't they? Because Mm, I always think if you're going to be running a business, you have to, rather than casting the net wide and hoping hoping that we catch lots and lots of fish and it doesn't matter what sort of fish we catch. It's better to niche into one area and to be the go-to expert so that whenever anyone's looking for something, it's like uh, like IPS, for example, would be the first place to go to assessment and development. That's them. So your advice, say, for entrepreneurs who are thinking of, oh, we're doing so well and we need to expand, would be really to remain within your niche?
1: Well, yes, stay really true to what you do. That Mm. brand has equity. That brand Mm. has value. And particularly for startups, it's a conversation we have a lot because when you start up, you're not known for that passion. And so clients will come to you and say, hey, can you do a bit of this? Can you do a bit of that? And the answer to that is, yeah, sure, I can. And so you do because it's revenue. Um, But then very quickly... Uh, you become known as a person who can do bits and pieces of lots of things, mm-hmm. not actually known for what your core is. So it's, 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 a, it's a moment of courage uh, for any startup, particularly in the first year, when you turn around and say no to that project no to that source of revenue, and you redeploy that time into staying true to what your your core uh, belief is, your core why. Um, you know that's how you build a brand that's known for something uh, really special.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's so important because too many entrepreneurs I know think, oh, we need need, um, a bit more revenue. Let's do a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And I know even for myself, I specialize in transition coaching. That's what I do. Uh, And there are a lot of other things I can do as well. However, I find that it does dilute and I'd rather just spend time doing what I enjoy and I know I'm really good at because that's what makes my heart sing. And so often, especially I think for um, young entrepreneurs, everything makes their heart sing. It's all bright, shiny objects <laughs> it's like take on something extra, yes? But um, Yeah, so yeah. And, it,
1: and it's also a discipline because, you know, every single year I get together with the board and we mm-hmm. go through this process. Because of this, what happened with IPS gave me a pathological aversion to brand dilution every single year right? <laughs> about this time. And, yeah. and this, is actually, this is actually happening tomorrow. We've got a full-day mm-hmm. meeting um, focused on this. And what we do is we review what we're doing. Um, we, we call it, we blow it up and, and put it back together. And, and this really is the discipline to make sure that we're not migrating into some areas where we're starting to get a bit diluted, we're starting to get a bit confused about really what we stand for. So it's that yearly discipline of, of recalibrating the business and staying, staying core to our beliefs. Not to say that the market conditions don't change and we need to adapt to those market conditions, uh, but it avoids that brand creep
0: hmm That's so important. Now, let's go back to your career now, Christopher. So then you ended up joining Hudson as National Account Director and then Director of Talent Management. That would have been an interesting time for you.
1: Yeah. Well, look, when I came back to Sydney, um, I, I talked to Mark. He was one of the first guys I got back in touch with to get the band back together again. And, and he, he told me something that's absolutely true. And that is, Um, particularly in Sydney being such a small town, uh, you need your network if you're going to make moves in this city and any Australian capital city is the same. And um, rather than do an entrepreneurial play, um, he gave me the advice that, you know, find a role that gets your network back. And that national account role was a a more strategic business-to-business role where the organisation was uh, providing HR consulting, recruitment, business process outsourcing, but my role was to um, manage those relationships at a board level. So with a Fairfax, a News Limited, a Qantas, a Woolworths. Um, so my portfolio was between uh, five and seven million dollars, um, and I was responsible for growth of that portfolio. Um, and it was a you know a really interesting time because the advice that I was given was that you had to manage as much of your internal network as your external network. And do you know what? I tried that and it was stunningly unsuccessful. Um, <laughs> so after a year, I said, do you know what? Uh, I'm going to do this my own way and I'm going to spend 99% of my time with my customers um, and I'm going to trust that the internal resources are going you are going to do a good job but you're not going to see me. I'm not going to be that visible uh, because I see my job is in fundamentally understanding those accounts um, with a level of intimacy that then I can bring that knowledge back to the business and say, right, let's create something, let's do something differently. And that change in strategy um, um, led to an award of being the the top-performing account director across Australia and New Zealand for that year. Um, But it was another lesson that, you know, Advice is great, but, um, you know, we, we've got to um, take our own path and, and find our own, um, you know, success factors.
0: Yeah, and obviously relationship development is something that, that is your forte. Um, and I, I guess because you're just inherently so interested in what really makes people tick, yes?
1: Yeah, and look, I would always train the guys when we go out to see a an account uh, that if there's an hour meeting, Um, they're going to be talking for at least 45 of those minutes. Um, We're just going to be doing lots of listening and lots of probing questions. And at the end, there might be an opportunity to say something really smart, really concise about how we uh, have understood those needs and how we can partner with them. Um, But, you know, I I think the quality of those meetings is largely determined by how much we listen Mm. um, rather than how much we pitch.
0: Yeah, I 100% agree. I know whenever I'm, I'm, I'm talking to any of my corporate clients or pitching really for work, I don't really do any pitching. I just do a lot of asking of questions, you know, where are you, where are you at? What are your challenges? What do you think would work? What works? What doesn't work? What's happened before? And then that way they almost tell you what it is that you need and you'll know if you're able to deliver um, or else tailor a specific solution bespoke, you know, just just for them. I think that's, that's the most important thing when it comes to developing relationships is listening. Listening and understanding. You know, too many people listen to respond rather than listen to truly understand.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think it's Mm. a really good point. And um, outside of the the tactics, from a relationship perspective, from a neurological perspective, it's just a more enjoyable meeting for the audience Mm. to be talking about the things that are closest to them, to talk about themselves, to talk about their role, to talk about their, uh, you know, their, their fears, their desires, what they want to change. Um, and so from a relationship building perspective, um, you know, we're, we're building that in-group neurologically uh, where we're, we're a safe partner, where we're, we're a warm partner. Um, and so when it comes to actually talking about, you know, solutions, a lot of that neurological groundwork um, is already done.
0: Mm. now christopher how did you come up with this amazing wonderful name i just love the name alchemy career management so this has been going now for eight years it's a very successful boutique coaching firm okay and supporting career success because that's what you do with the career transition exec coaching your wellness at work program that i want to find out mm. a bit more about as well and mm. business transformation so alchemy how, how did how do you concoct this this uh, name
1: well, it, it, it came out of actually the experience, the second role I had there at Hudson because that, that experience did two things for me. One was it, it clarified my passion for helping people one-on-one. Uh, it just gives me goosebumps. And the second thing that it did, it... Highlighted a dissatisfaction that I had with the traditional ways of coaching and the traditional ways of providing uh, our place-winning career transitions. So I started the business in in 2009 because we actually understand the neurological and behavioural elements that um, facilitate, you know, sustained success and And fulfillment, um, and so that coupled with my absolute love for um, having an impact on people 's uh, life and career, meant that the the terminology alchemy um, w- was perfect because the uh, the discipline of alchemy is taking raw material and converting that into precious metals and so um, that 's a metaphor for what we do. Um, whether it's coaching, crew transition, or wellness, we're taking those raw minerals in a an individual or in a team in an organisation, uh, and we're converting that into um, uh, precious resources.
0: Mm. You know, just listening to you and listening to the passion that comes through, I just get very excited because we've obviously got very similar values in mm. what we want to do and to be able to assist others. And you, you've got this program called Wellness at Work, which I think is. You know, it just sounds great. It's great alliteration. Plus, you've got um, these these pillars for success within wellness at work. Can you tell us a little bit about that too?
1: Yeah. Look, that that came about um, because when we built the uh, career transition practice, we knew that the decisions that were people were making in terms of their lifestyle um, were going to have a big impact on uh, the speed and the quality of their transition. So, you know, with our business, on, we, we did the work to understand from not only the empirical data but from our own field research, what are the elements um, that people need to focus on if they're going to be at their absolute best? And so um, we found out that there were six. We called them the six cylinders of wellness And that is one of the first conversations we'll have with someone going through career transition or or going through uh, their leadership coaching experience. Because if we can get that profile tuned up, if we can get them making good decisions across those six cylinders, then everything else that we work on is going to be so much smoother, so much easier. Now, Jane, our intent... Uh, stop there. We didn't have any vision for going beyond that with this topic because we're not a wellness business. We're a coaching business. However, in 2012, something uh, unpredictable happened, and that was organisations coming to me unsolicited and saying, hey, look, outside of the individual work that you're doing, we've actually got a staff group who are stressed, who are uh, under pressure. And those pressures are certainly not going away. So can you come and can you do some workshops around this topic? Because you seem to have a very uh, scientific, very evidence-based view. Um, and that evolved very quickly into the Wellness at Work program that looks at wellness from, from three elements. One being uh, the cognitive, which sits in the prefrontal cortex, and, and giving our brains the clear air to be doing some really good thinking. Um, The second element is the emotional, which resides in the limbic system and and understanding um, and managing those limbic responses. And the third is the behavioural, so the actions that we actually do, and that's the six cylinders of of wellness. So now um, it constitutes 20% of our balance sheet, um, but completely unexpected. And that says something about us. That says something about the market. you know, organisations are under duress. Um, good people um, are under duress. And the collection of wellness and EAP programs that are out there um, are pretty ad hoc and, and, and transactional. We're not seeing anything that's really cutting through and, and making a substantial change. So, look, we, we see we've got a role to play here. But, again, we're very careful about that brand dilution. We're careful about not being seen as a wellness business. We're we're a coaching business that just happens to have some really good expertise that's able to help our our clients to um, achieve that sustained fulfillment and success in their life as well as their career.
0: Mm, and I think with coaching too, wellness forms a huge part of it. So it's not just you know progressing in your career or building a huge business. It's it, it's also having that harmony and the balance so that you do look after your health, your physical, your mental, and behavioral health. Really, is 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 really a key to success because if you can get all aspects of it together and well balanced and you feel good and you look forward to going to work every day and in fact you leap out of bed and you can't wait to do what you're about to do that's the meaning of life isn't it
1: well it is and look how many people jane have we met that you know they're they're good people they've got good values they're intelligent they're driven uh but there's a clear barrier
0: Mm.
1: uh, and you can see it yeah you can see it because they're just not making the right decisions and in 2000 and Seven two 2008 i was that guy you know mm. i was the in the big corporate role career going really well uh but i was 20 kilos heavier than what i am now um i was under a lot of pressure and i was mentally and physically uh unwell um and it was only through a complete 180 in in that focus of putting yourself first um that was able to unpack that
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so important to have gone through it yourself. You can really relate and empathise with others who, who might be struggling for it. So now, Christopher, I could talk to you all day because there's just so much to <laughs> discuss. This would be great. But I want to find out from you, what would you say for, um, for truly you know, happiness at work and to do well in your career, uh, what would those top three tips be? Do
1: you know, I, I get asked this a lot. Mm. And and the honest answer is uh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I don't think I don't think any of us really do know. But mm. but what I can share with you, and what I can share with your audience, is there's a couple of factors that have risen to the top for me. Um, and that first one is is what we were just talking about. It's it's putting yourself first, and and it might seem selfish, but I use the analogy of the airline safety demonstration where in the unlikely event of a catastrophic failure of the aircraft, gas masks come down and you're instructed uh, to look after yourself before the poor, defenseless child sitting next to you. And and that just, on one level, just doesn't make any sense. But, of course, there's logic to it because unless you're getting the oxygen, uh, you're not going to be any use to anyone around you. And the same in business, the same in leadership um, and the same at home. Unless we're getting the oxygen first, we're not going to be there for our kids, for our family, for our staff, for our peers, um, and for our careers. So that would be the first thing that that, that little bit of selfishness to put yourself first. Um, the second thing we also talked about was being really clear on what you do. And um, whether it's your passion or you know understanding your why using Cinex Golden Circle, mm-hmm. um, but being really clear and unapologetic about you know what it is that 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 you're passionate about, and a lot of us are in a really privileged position to know that. Um, but even if you're not, you know it's an exploration, and that exploration never really never really stops. Um, and the third one we also touched on in this. Uh, in this interview, and that is always be networking. You know, always be generous with the network. Um, Don't wait for that moment in your career when you need the network more than the network needs you. You know, if you're constantly in the traffic um, and you're, you know, you're well, so your networking is confident and you're really clear on what you do, um, that network will will give back to you tenfold. Um, And it might always be clear because it's not transactional, but it, um, that has been probably the 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 secret of um, starting a business and then achieving that sustained success because it comes through the network.
0: Yeah. And that's actually been a theme throughout your entire life and career, right from when you graduated and you started reaching out to psychologists and saying, Hey, can we have a coffee? Can I find out what you do? And you've, you've continued that throughout your career. So it certainly works, doesn't it? I always uh, I advocate networking to develop relationships, just become friends. And so if if people know who you are and what you represent and what your values are and their synergy, there, there's always some time in the future, there will be something that maybe you can benefit others and they can benefit you as well. It's all relationship development. It's not asking for a job after all.
1: Exactly. And look, you know, and that unlocks the power of channels. I mean, mm. We, um, we have a look at um, new partners that join our business and in the first year, um, over 80% of their business comes from channels mm-hmm. and channels are those organisations that um, can refer you work and rather than contact 20 potential customers, if you're calling and getting to know eight channels who are in touch with hundreds and hundreds of customers. It's got a scale to it. And so finding organisations that you really love what they do and you can refer work to them and be really generous, um, we've found that that's a really successful way of not only networking uh, but building a revenue stream.
0: Mm. And now people will want to find out where to reach you, Christopher. So tell us, how can we find you?
1: Well, the website's a good place to start, which is alchemycm.com.au and there's some resources that we've put up there for um, our corporate clients as well. Um, Again, being generous with the network, Um, but also on Twitter, um, alchemycm, as well as LinkedIn and and, and all the typical places. So um, with topics like coaching and career transition and wellness, um, we encourage people to join the conversation. Um, we've got a we've got a common vision here. We've got a common intent. Um, help us, and um, and we'll be
0: generous hmm Wonderful. Well, I'll have all of those details on my show notes on janejacksoncoach.com and um, I'm sure that I'll be able to refer business your way as well. It's been such a pleasure talking to you because I find, honestly, organizational psychology, taking a neurological view of, of really performance and leadership, it's absolutely fascinating. So, thanks for your time today and for sharing your insights and I hope to have you back on the show again and we can have another another chat in more detail in about say four to six months time what do you reckon right
1: how about i interview you that this time
0: <laughs> okay well you won't be able to make get me to stop once i start talking christopher it doesn't stop so it's much better if i ask the questions because yeah, i Randy. love to listen <laughs> well, Fantastic. Thanks so much and uh, we'll talk to you again soon
1: Thanks, Jade. I really want to um, say thank you for giving me this um, opportunity to talk about something that I'm really passionate about and um, uh, delighted to be here and I'm looking forward to you know, our continuing relationship.
0: Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Thank you so much and bye. If you'd like to find out how coaching can help you, visit janejacksoncoach.com, where not only will you be able to listen to other fascinating interviews from professionals who've made amazing career changes, you'll also be able to download some free ebooks and guides on how to manage your career effectively.
1: Receive regular career advice at janejacksoncoach.com.
0: If you enjoyed this episode of Your Career Podcast, I invite you to check out my career success program at